Well, last week, we started a short two-part series on faith, and we're going to continue that today. I'm calling the series Victorious Faith, and uh, the sermon in the series that I'm addressing is why faith is necessary. Uh, faith is extremely necessary. It's absolutely vital. We, we saw this last week, and I said that without faith, first of all, it's impossible to please God. You cannot please God without faith. That is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And then there are several other verses throughout the New Testament that show us that without faith, everything falls apart. Everything we have from God depends on faith. So faith is vitally important. So um, as I prayed leading up to these two sermons, messages, I just felt very much impressed by God that this is what he wanted me to talk about. And so I have to believe that it's, that it's something that God intends for us as a group of believers, that there's something that God wants you to receive as we go forward in today's message uh, so let's uh, just bow our heads. I want to want to pray one more time for God's blessing on my talk. Father, thank you for this privilege and honor. I mean, really, um, I am nothing except a messenger. That's all I am, and and I know that, Lord. Uh, there are people that are better than me that speak better than I do, but Lord, we we all know because we're all your servants. Um, you don't, you know, choose the bold and the beautiful many times. You choose uh, those of us who are weak. And, uh, and so, Lord, I profess that to you today. I am weak and I need your help. I need your strength. Lord, we also need your help and your strength to learn and to, to really hear what you have to say. And then beyond that, to take what we hear and learn and to apply it to our lives. So I ask that that by your Holy Spirit, you would make what we're talking about today matter. Lord, cause us to care about what you care about and do it by your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, we pray, amen. So last week, we talked about, uh, or started talking about three aspects of faith. And as you know, I only got through the first aspect. And uh, that tends to be my problem when I preach. I kind of go on longer than I thought I would in my preparation. But uh, hopefully you were, you were blessed as we talked about faith as being uh, something that gives us the ability, this gift from God that gives us the ability to see. Now, when I speak in terms of seeing, I'm talking about perceiving and perceiving things that we don't perceive normally or naturally uh, in our current sinful state, that is. Talking about seeing and perceiving God and the things that pertain to God. Now, it's interesting, in the world, there's a such thing known as empiricism. Uh, most scientists are what you call empiricist. And I'm not sure if you've ever heard that term, but basically what it means is that we know what we know according to these scientists who are empiricists. We know what we know. Because of our senses, our five senses, we, we see and, and we hear and we smell and touch and so forth. And that's how we know. And as long as we can do that, as long as we can touch things and see them and feel them and so forth, then we can believe in them. So that's the requirement for believing. 
And many people, again, scientists and many other people have the same mind and, and believe that that is how we believe. And uh, when it comes to our faith, though, um, that's, that's not altogether true, is it? Well, it is in a way, but not fully. Um, that is, when it comes to faith, we don't have to see to believe. We shouldn't have to see, see to believe. Um, basically, we should be able to trust God's word and what God's word says about us. And, and that should be enough. But yet, the Bible does talk about us seeing. And, and by that, I think the Bible is getting beyond just this typical uh, adherence to what we would call truth. This, this sort of cerebral, um, purely doctrinal approach beyond that to something that is more experiential. So the Bible talks in terms of senses. It uses words like seeing and even hearing. In fact, a verse that I won't really expound on is found in uh, Romans 10, which says that faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So it's interesting. It doesn't say faith comes by the word of God, which I guess indirectly it does. But what it says is that faith comes by hearing. So, so in other words, faith comes by really perceiving something in God's word, re- really uh, experiencing something in God's word. So you see the words on one hand, but then there's this existential experience where you move in and through the words to, to what's behind the words, the essence of the words. And I believe that our Christian experience, if it's going to be a complete experience, it has to include that. And we could spend so much time, in fact, I could probably, in, in my preparation, I could preach another ten sermons on this whole topic of experiencing God and how important it is. Well, when I say that faith is about seeing, I mean that faith is about tasting. You know, David said, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Faith is about pleasure, it's about experiencing the pleasures that come from the benefits of knowing God. You know, the psalmist says that at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. When we talk about hearing, we're also talking about seeing in a way. We're talking about perceiving the things of God. So, so seeing is, is so important. Really seeing. Really seeing is very important. And here's the cool thing that you need to know. You know, seeing is like a pair of glasses, or faith is like a pair of glasses in this regard. And every one of you, if you have faith, if you've trusted in Christ, you have been given this pair of glasses. God has given you these glasses. And he said, here you go, put them on. So you have the ability to really see. You have it. It is yours. It is in your possession. God has given it to you. So make use of those glasses. So, so we talked about faith as seeing last week. And now this week, I want to move to point two, which is this. Uh, faith is believing. And that's more commonly how we associate faith. And that is with this idea of believing. Now, if you will, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. This is like the classic chapter for faith, our teaching on faith in the whole Bible. And I say turn, you might just want to press a button and get there if you have a a device that you're using. And uh, let's just read one verse for now, verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for 
and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Okay. So now if you ask me, this verse captures the essence of what it means to believe. Okay. So in other words, when you believe in something, then you are assured and you are convinced. And then ultimately, which is point three of these sermons that I probably won't get to today. It leads to, it leads to overcoming. Okay. So when you have this, this sort of faith, when you're believing, you're being assured and you're being convinced. And when you're assured and you're convinced, it leads to overcoming or having an overcoming life. And, and actually, really, that is the message of the rest of Hebrews chapter 11, right? I mean, it plays out in life after life as example after example are given in Hebrews chapter 11. And I just want to show you two of these examples that I think uh, relate especially to what we're talking about. Look down at verse 8 in Hebrews chapter 11. So the first example is Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 17, skip down. By faith, when he was tested, Abraham offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So do you see verse 1 at work in Abraham? I mean, what certainty, what assurance, right? I mean, no wonder he's called the father of our faith, Abraham. I mean, this guy left his home and started walking one day, going where he knew not. And he did it because he was certain of the God whom he had believed in. He was sure of this very thing, that God had something greater in store for him. He left everything he knew. And then he offered his son up one day because he believed that's what God wanted him to do. And truly, God said, listen, I want you to offer your son up as a sacrifice. But ultimately, it was a test. But you know what? Abraham did not waver in his faith. He believed that God knew what he was doing. He was certain and he was assured of that. So he took his son up on a mountain and he raised the knife to take his son's life. And and the angel of the Lord stopped him and said, hold on, don't do that. I just wanted to test you. And now I know, now I know, not that God really needed to know. Abraham was the one who needed to know. Now, so that's one example. The next example is Moses. Look down in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. Now, I think that means they saw that there was something special about him. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he...
refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, isn't that, isn't that fantastic? I mean, wow, this is amazing. Here's a guy who, who has been given the kingdom of Egypt, you know? I don't know if he would have ever attained to the throne of Egypt. It's very possible. But nonetheless, he was extremely wealthy. He had everything he could ever want. All the treasures and pleasures of Egypt. But you know what he did? He said, no, I don't want that. I would rather suffer with the people of God. I would rather suffer the reproach of Christ than have what you have to offer. And he did it by faith. So that means that he saw something, you see. He saw something. Something that could not be seen, but yet that was very real to him. He had incredible assurance and certainty. So when I, when I was reading this, I was like, I tell you what, I want that kind of faith. I mean, that was the first thing that came to my mind. It's like, this, this is amazing. This is what it's supposed to be like. You know, th- this is how we're supposed to live as believers. I want this kind of faith, and I think God wants us to want this kind of faith, or he wouldn't have put this chapter in the Bible, right? I mean, this chapter is here to say, here you go. Here, this is for you. You can attain to this. I want this kind of faith. I know that you want this kind of faith. So that was my first thought. And then my second thought was, well, okay, how do they get here? Yeah, I mean, how does this happen? How does somebody become so convinced and so assured? How does somebody believe at, at this level, which, which causes them to do radical things, to give up things? I mean, really good things. Meaningful things, things you need in life, and to say, I don't want it. <laughs> you can have it all. You can take this whole world. I don't, I don't want it. I'm going in this direction, the direction that seems foolish to everybody else. But I, I can see that there's, there's something out there. I can see that there's a city out there whose builder and maker is God. And that's the direction I'm going in. I'm like, well, what is it that inspired these guys and others in Hebrew chapter 11 to do that. I mean, that, that is major. Whatever it is, it's major. So I want to know what it is. And it may not be what you think, or at least what I think. Because <laughs> as I studied, there was something that, that jumped out to me, and, and I want to share that with you. Um, speaking of inspiration, you know, you understand inspiration, right? I mean, you, you've been inspired in your life at some point or the other, and probably multiple times. Uh, inspiration is an emotional experience. Uh, the word itself, inspiration, if you break it down, is in spirit. It's something that happens to you in your spirit. And it's something that moves you deeply. And sometimes causes you to make really radical decisions, right? So as an example, uh, well, let me say, we can be inspired by 
different things. And, you know, you can be inspired by, by music or by um, uh, someone's life story. You can be inspired by a speech. You can be inspired by art. Uh, you can be inspired by a sporting event. There's all sorts of things that, that can touch you on this level that I'm talking about. And if you're touched on that level, then usually what it means is that there's something down in you that connects Right. I mean, you may not can put two and two together and you, you, you may not trace why it connects, but it connects. So I don't know why, but for me, when, when I watch the piano guys, you know, who they are. Thank you. There's one person here that knows who they are. This, this illustration is going to be great for sharing. <laughs> when I see the piano guys on top of that red stone mountain in Utah, with Alex Boyer singing Peponi, which is paradise being translated, I am incredibly inspired. And if I was a little guy, and I saw that as a little guy, I might be really moved to start playing piano and find some rock somewhere and get on top of it and start singing like Alex Boyer, whether I could or not. That's how inspiration works. Um, when I think back, another example of this is 1980. <laughs> this is amazing. I don't know what the interconnection would be to this one. But in 1980, does that year ring a bell for anybody in terms of the sporting world? The, the miracle on ice, right? Now, just... Just know that I grew up in South Alabama, which means we did not have hockey. We hardly had ice. Okay. I, I did not know anything about hockey. And there was as a junior in high school watching this, this hockey experience transpire over, over the television. And me and my buddies were sitting there watching it, and we were enthralled. It was, it was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen. And, you know, it, it deeply inspired me. And I think that if I had grown up, maybe here, I, I would have been searching out a hockey stick and some ice. And I would have been trying to perfect my game so that I could play professional hockey. That's another example, one final example. And I just have to share this one because I've shared it with you before in the past. Nothing, I mean, well, I wouldn't say anything, but few things have inspired me more than the Grand Canyon. Uh, I went to the Grand Canyon, Patty and I, several years ago, and uh, it was crazy. I, I, I've been, t- my, my history is going to the Smoky Mountains uh, down in, you know, western or eastern Tennessee and into North Carolina. And so I was trained as a child that when you go and see a site, you know, you, you see it from afar. It's up, and you're, you're looking up. So when we're going to the Grand Canyon, I keep expecting to see it as we're driving up, and we never see it. And then you're driving into the park, and there's all these scrub pines, and, you know, it just doesn't look very impressive approaching it. And, and I'm thinking, well, where is this thing? And then it dawned on me. It's a hole in the ground. You're not going to see it up, okay? So so we pull up to the uh, to the main place the the welcome center and we get out and we walk up and and I'll never forget it and and it's like it's like kind of like this you know you're walking up and there's a little incline and and you still can't see it very well at all 
And, uh, and then you get to the edge and you look and it's like, <gasps> it's a breathtaking experience. It's like, I was so inspired. I was so moved. We, you know, and then you get in your car and you travel around the rim and then you get out and you go to the next uh, viewing point and you think, well, this is going to get old at some point. But it never does. It's like every time you step up and you look, you go. <gasps> you understand. My point is that you understand inspiration. You get what inspiration is all. You, you can relate. You have been inspired. And I think that inspiration has to happen. Something grand, something moving, something deeply personal and emotional has to happen in us if we are going to believe in God on the same level as Abraham and Moses. So how does that happen? How does that happen? What, what is the key? Well, when you study the life of Abraham and Moses... Um, there, there's something very interesting that's pointed out about these two guys in their relationship with God. Now, I don't think it relates simply to them, but it is said about them. It is, it is said about both of them that they were a friend of God. They were a friend of God. Now, at first, when this dawned on me, I was like, what's, what's so inspirational about friend or, or being a friend or Friendship. But once I started thinking about it, I thought, you know, friendship is extremely inspirational. It is incredibly inspirational. Think about it like this. You, you and I come into this world separated from God, um, we, we come into this world alone. And uh, from that point, there, there is this kind of search that ensues. We, we, we search for love, as it's been said, or we search for companionship. And uh, we, we long to have it and we long to find it. And then one day, we find a friend as, as we get older, or, well, you know, as a, as a child too. We find this friend. And this friend begins to address those particular needs that, that we have. The, the two deep needs that I'm thinking of are, are loneliness and lostness. Okay, so, so in a friend, we find answers to these particular problems. We, we find someone that we can experience life with, so loneliness is addressed. And we find also a purpose in life. In regards to lostness. And that purpose may be no bigger than our friend, but yet it suffices, right? I mean, my purpose in this world is to relate to this person. You know, and to experience life with this person. And to help this person. And to listen to this person. And to be there for this person. Friendship is extremely, extremely important. And these needs that we have have are incredibly deep. So when we are touched in relation to lostness and loneliness, that is incredibly inspirational. Now, if you don't think that it is, just do some searches on the Internet and search out, search, search out loneliness and lostness. 
here's one thing I found in terms of loneliness. Actually, some say it's the greatest psychological need there is, loneliness. People feeling alone. Do you know that there is a, a place in northwest um, Great Britain where they have this lifeline. It's called our hotline. It's called the silver line. <laughs> and silver means senior. And so anybody over 60 can call this number. And it, and it simply addresses loneliness. That, that's all it addresses. People just call in and talk. And they talk to you know people who have committed themselves to this on the other end. And there are 10,000 calls a week that come in. And that's just one little corner in Great Britain. Now, I would imagine what happens to seniors is that as we get older, you know, all the props kind of go away in life. All the distractions go away, right? And sometimes our spouses die even. And, and there we are. We, we find ourselves really alone. It's a scary place to be. In fact, this article called, called Loneliness an Epidemic. So, and I could go on and on about that. But don't think for one minute these are not serious, deep, psychological human needs because they are. And I believe God has given us friendship to help address this need. Um, think, think about it. Here, here's another thought. I read something this week too that said that uh, there's this lady, and her name was Sandy, and I think she was in her 50s at this particular point, and um, she, she had been adopted uh, as, as a baby, and that's because when her mom had her, her mom loved her very much, but um, I guess she didn't count the cost of having a child and, and discovered that she wouldn't be able to, to raise this daughter, at least in a good way, so she uh, took the advice of her counselors and, and offered the child up for adoption. And so um, years later, um, the child's adoptive parents, or this Sandy's adoptive parents, died, you know, when she, when she was an adult, I think actually like 25. And so she began this search for her mom, her biological mom, and, and she said, that she had always thought about her mom. You know, her mom had, had always been in her mind. Now, again, we got to connect this. I don't know if I did such a good job with this. We got to connect this to our plight from God, okay? You know, we are lonely and lost because we are separated from God, right? So there's this deep longing for some type of companionship, some type of friendship in us, right? And we, we see it in this whole thing called friendship in the world, but we also see it in cases like Sandy's in terms of her, her mother. So she said, I had always thought of my mom, always thought about her. And then finally they are reunited. Uh, it took like 25 years to find her mom. And finally they are reunited, and she said, you know, after they embraced, she said, to be held like that was something I dreamed about my whole life. I mean, it was my own mom holding me in her arms, telling me she loved me, telling me how much she loved me and missed me my whole life. It was amazing. 
And then she says this, it's crazy to, to have spent my whole life looking and then to finally find her. It's been amazing. I've something, it's something I've yearned for my whole life and that yearning never went away. It was important to hear that I wasn't some kind of mistake. That I was loved and missed. Now that, that's incredibly inspirational, isn't it? I mean, do, but do you see how deeply this person um, is touched with, with this whole idea of loneliness and lostness and, and having finally found her mom and, and the joy that resulted? The inspiration, no doubt, that came to her. Moving on to the second half of her life. Now, all of this is, is on a human level, okay? Right? I mean, I might find a friend that's a really good friend. I might find my mom that I haven't seen in years, and it, it might do something, inspirationally speaking, within me. But that is not on the same level as finding God or being found by God. You see, because... Not even moms, as important as moms might be, can fill that ultimate void of lostness and loneliness. And it's because we were made in God's image. I mean, we're the spitting image of God. We are deeply connected to God. We are deeply associated with God. Our very DNA, you know, our genetic code was designed by God. He is our maker. He is our creator. We are his creatures. And in one sense, we're all his children. Whether we're believers or not, we're all his children. So there's that deep, deep need in us. There's that loneliness and that lostness. And I believe that what we're looking for in life is the ultimate friend. We're looking for the ultimate friend. And then to one day find out that he's been looking for us. <laughs> now, of course, he's God. He could, he could find us anytime he wants, right? He knows who we are. But that's not how it plays out, right? I mean, God pursues us over time. He looks for us. He comes after us, um, seeking us. And, and when he finds us and when we find him, there is this deep need that is met in that moment when we finally meet our lost friend, our long-lost friend. Now, I remember when I committed my life to Christ, you know, I was probably about 21, and... And I was thinking back on this. I was thinking, okay, what was going on in my mind when I made that decision? When I, when I said yes to Jesus? What was happening in my heart? What was happening in my mind? Is it true to what I'm talking about? And here's the primary thing that, that was going on in me. Was this sense of lostness. You know, just, just being lost. Just wandering about this world and, and going about life with no real sense of purpose. You know, just happening. 
And then to think in that moment that I had been found, which being translated means now I had reconnected with my creator. I'd reconnected with with my designer. So now my life was going to go somewhere. I had purpose. And then right after that was this whole thing of loneliness. Can you think back to a time that you, you tried to go through life without God? Yeah, have you ever attempted that? Well, you, maybe you did before Christ, if you have a, a true before and after. Uh, maybe you've done it as a believer, where you, you just get to a point, you're like, you know what? I, I don't know about all this. I'm just going to try it on my own. And then you try to go through life without God. It is the most miserable experience in the world. To feel that you're all alone in the world, you know? On the other hand, to know that God is with you. Now, of course, we know that as we become believers, the way it happens is God says to us here, trust in my son, Jesus Christ. Right? And what do you get when you get Jesus Christ? You get a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You get a man, the God-man, who was a friend of sinners. You know, we sing about it, Jesus, what a friend of sinners. Jesus, friend forever. You get a man who said in John fifteen thirteen, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Now, just think about it. You get someone who says to you things like this. um, Nothing in all creation is going to be able to separate me from you. I'm with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Doesn't matter. I'm here to the end. You and I, it's me and you. That's what you get in Jesus You get a faithful friend, and his word is as good as his death, right? In other words, to prove his his veracity, to to prove his truthfulness, he died. He said, I'm going to ratify what I'm saying to you by dying for you. And I hope that's good enough. I hope if you ever doubt my allegiance to you, friend... That you will look at the cross and you will say, you will say, yes. He meant what he said. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Now, guess what? You will have many times in your life where you doubt that. And you'll think, there's no way he's with me now. But you know what? You'll be wrong. I don't care how bad it gets. I don't care how ugly it gets. I don't care how sinful you become. He's true to his word. If you have trusted in him, he is true to his word. He will not abandon you. He will not forsake you. Fear not. Now, that is deeply personal. Because what's being addressed in that friendship is loneliness and lostness. And you know what? Friends, right, on the human level, they can let us down. 
They can let us down. But Jesus can't. He, he can't do it. He cannot let you down. That's incredibly inspirational. And I think what we see in Abraham and Moses is, is a kind of relationship with God. A relationship of nearness where they saw God as their friend. And, and that means he was just what a friend is, right? You know what a friend is. You know, there to the end. Do anything for you. Won't give up on you. Be there at any point in time of the day, whenever you need them. They saw God in that light. And that was incredibly inspirational to them. And what it made them want to do was reciprocate. Right? They, they wanted to give back to God what He was giving them. And so they began to adopt the idea, you know what? I don't care. I love my friend. And I'm going to do anything for my friend. Whatever it matters. My friend has asked me to give up my home. My friend has asked me to give up my family, everything I know, and come to this place where he is. And live with him. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look for that city where my friend is. Moses said, you can have it all. My friend cares about me. My friends asked me to give all this up. So I'm giving it up. And I'm giving my life to him. I, I think there's something there. You know, there's so much more to think about here and explore. But I think there's something there. Again, it's speaking at a kind of relationship. You know, and so faith in this sense, you know, and believing on this level is not so much about, you know, just doing things and doing these great works. It's about believing in God, believing in His Son, Jesus Christ, and loving Him so much in this case, as a friend, that you then are willing to do anything and everything for him. That is true belief. That's what we're called to. That's the level of engagement that we're called to. Nothing less. When you have a friend, you believe in them and you're willing to do anything for them. So here's just what I want to leave you with this thought. Could it be that one of our biggest problems in this regard, you know, a reason that we don't have faith on this level, this like earth shattering, history making, you know, level. And that we're not doing great mighty things for God is because we're neglecting the friendship. Could it be? Could it be that the reason we love sin more or we're entangled with sin more and we're not willing to set it aside and, and as a result our lives kind of flounder and we wander and you know we're just getting by that sort of thing spiritually. Could it be that we don't have a great enough love to pull us past that? We don't have a great enough friend to inspire us to give all that up. Again, Faith says this, here, take this gift, put these glasses on, I'm here. I'm here. 
If you diligently seek me with your glasses, you will find me. And when you find him, you find everything you've ever been looking for. We got to close with chapter 12. Verse 2. Okay, this is after chapter 11 and all these examples of people who lived by faith. The writer says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Go back to verse 1. We're surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, (laughs) that is the answer. That that is the answer. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Cultivating this friendship. Because when we do, we receive from Jesus just incredible love, acceptance, forgiveness. We receive a friend who is greater than any that we could ever imagine. He satisfies our deepest longings. And from that, that place of health, that pl- place of healing, we then rise up and we're willing to do these great things for you. Lord, that, that's faith in action. And that's faith having works. So, Father, I pray for every person here um, that you would help them draw near to you. You have said, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Because, Father, when we do that, when anyone here who desires more of God does that, then they will find that their faith is going to be victorious. It's going to work like it's supposed to work. Like we see in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Father, convict us of our sin. Our sin that so easily entangles us. Father, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be strapped down, burdened down, and tied down to this earth. We want to be lifted up. Father, we want to be like Abraham and Moses and like Jesus Christ. Who overcame all that he did. Enduring the cross because of the joy that was set before him. And I got to believe that a part of the joy, a major part of the joy that he was looking forward to was the fellowship that he was going to have with his friends as a result of his personal triumph. So Lord, bless us in this way. Bless us in this way. And may you be glorified as a result in Christ's name. Amen.